Thanks for tuning in to this message from Greenhouse Church. We're continuing our series on the Great Awakening. Listen now as Pastor Mike continues his teaching on the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 3, it says, He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Can everybody say the kingdom of God? It's a really important phrase today. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. There are some of you that are listening to me now that have still never been, I believe, baptized with God's Spirit or in God's Holy Spirit. And I just cannot wait for this to happen to you. I I literally can't wait for what's going to happen in your life when that takes place. You might even begin to pray right now, God, baptize me, immerse me, dunk me, fill me with your spirit. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? That's a really, really important question here. Will you restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were still gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. I'm going to pray. I just want to make super clear. It's not exactly my sermon. Jesus is coming back. I do want you to know that Jesus is going to return And he's going to return victoriously. He's going to come back. I do want your heart ready for that. And my agenda today is to talk about the redeeming of power. I want to talk about redeeming power. Let's pray. God help. In Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So as many of you know, I've got eight children. My wife is uh, very fruitful and we have multiplied and we try to get our family together to to really have time with God. Like to, we, 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 I wish we had a cool name for it. It's not something cool. We just call it Bible time. It's literally, we'd say kids, we're having Bible time. And that just means we gather of all the kids. We take out a Bible. We read through a chapter or some section. We talk about it. We pray about it. It's that, that's it. It's Bible time. I wish it was something cooler, clever, but it's Bible time. All right. I started doing this with the kids and I would just kind of instruct them on how we do things and, and we'd read the Bible or whatever. And after a little while, one of the kids came to me and they're like, hey, daddy, I think I could do this. Could, could I be the leader? To which I'm like, sure, if you think you can do it. And so they said, sure. And so, so they kind of took it and then another one would take it and then they would take it. And it's just a good way to sort of reproduce, reproduce some of the things that just, you know, how do you study the Bible and how do you pray and, and these kind of things. And so one of my children, my youngest child, she by far is the one that most desires to be, as she would call it, in charge. She said, I am in charge, or I am the leader, and you all need to follow me. And, and on multiple occasions, of course, I have handed over the reins to her for her to be trained and, and for her to be able to practice and cut her teeth at leading in Bible time. And unfortunately, she really enjoys being in charge too much. So she's younger, and, and when she's given control... 
I, I was really hoping that when you're reading Bible verses and Bible passages about God's goodness and kindness and gentleness and lovingness and how he's nice and sweet and redeeming and, and wonderful and all that, I was really thinking that would spill over. Like literally the content of what we're doing would somehow affect what happens. And yet she seemed to really enjoy being able to cut certain people off, namely siblings and and to let people know how many verses they could read and how many other people could not read and, and interrupt people and, and reminding everybody that during the whole process that she was in charge. And we have learned the hard way in our family that even when you're doing good things, power can mess with your mind. That's really the first thing I want to say today is that we humans have a problem with power. We've got a, we've got a power problem. We humans, we, we actually crave power. We crave it. In fact, there's a, a book that's called, I, I, I was getting ready for this. I've been preparing for this message for a number of months, actually. I was at the bookstore, and I saw a book called The 48 Laws of Power. And I said, oh, that's interesting. I'm going to be preaching a message about redeeming power. And Jesus has power, and the Bible says that God gives us power, that he created us to steward power. And so I was reading, it's these 48 laws of power of how, to, how you can have power in this life. Let me just read you a few of them. I, I was just so curious. I took out my phone. I started just, I was like, is this for real? Rule number one, never outshine the master. Always make sure those above you feel comfortably superior. Make your masters appear more brilliant than they are, and you will attain heights of power. It's like, that's interesting. Number two, never put too much trust in friends, but learn to use your enemies. Be wary of friends. They will betray you, for they're easily aroused to envy. They also become spoiled and tyrannical. In fact, you, may, you have more to fear from friends than you do from enemies. Don't trust your friends, but use your enemies. Number six, court attention at all costs. Everything is judged by appearance. What is unseen counts for nothing. Never let yourself get lost in the crowd. Stand out. Be conspicuous at all costs. Make yourself a magnet of attention, and you will have power. <laughs> Number seven, get others to do the work for you, but always take the credit yourself. Use the wisdom, knowledge, and legwork of other people to further your own cause. Number 12, use selective honesty to disarm people. Be selectively honest. One sincere move can cover dozens of dishonest moves. So I was reading this book. I was thinking, could anything be more different than the kingdom of God than the way that people on the kingdoms of this earth try to attain power. Now we find this when we're reading this passage because for, thir for 40 days, Jesus has been speaking about the kingdom of God, the ways of the kingdom of God, the characteristics of the kingdom of God, the difference about the kingdom of God from the kingdoms of this world. But apparently, even after Jesus has risen from the dead, even after he's died on the cross, even after he has spoken the kingdom of heaven to his disciples for 40 days, their reaction to this teaching is found in verse 6 when they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Will you restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, to give you the backdrop, there was a time when the nation of Israel was a place of great power. There was a time when 
Israel had arisen and they had a, a king, King Saul, but then King David, and it really came into prominence. Even right now, all across the world, everyone knows of this great king of Israel, David, one of the greatest kings of all of human history. And then, of course, after him was this, his son Solomon who became the king. And, and the heights and the glory and the depths of the power and the authority that Israel enjoyed grew during that time so that people from other nations like the Queen of Sheba would make trips to go to Israel to look upon the beauty and the, and the glory and the splendor and the wisdom of Solomon and of Israel. And there was a sense in which Israel had power and it was the golden era of the nation of Israel. But God had made promises to Israel and he put contingencies on that, which was this, I have risen you up to be a nation of priests. I have blessed you in order to bless the nations. I've given you the blessing of Abraham. And God spoke a blessing to Abraham where he said, I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. I'm going to raise you up. And I'm going to bless you in a way that no one would even believe it. But I'm blessing you so that in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I'm blessing you to be a... If you forget that lesson, what's going to happen is I will take that power from you. I will take that blessing from you. And indeed, we find that sad history of Israel was one of they, they did degenerate. They did go backwards and they ended up losing the kingdom, became captives. And now when we're reading in the first century, there are Israelis, there are Jews, like the disciples of Jesus, that are continuing to lament the loss of power and authority that they once enjoyed as a nation. And when they heard Jesus speaking of the kingdom, their assumption was... Are you at this time now going to give it back to us, our race, our people, our nation? Is, it come, is the kingdom now going to be restored to Israel? Can you give us the power back? Can you give us the authority back? Will you give us the respect back? Let me read you a quote. Today, Christians stand at the head of this country. I pledge that I will never tie myself to parties who want to destroy Christianity. We want to fill our country again with the spirit, the Christian spirit. We want to burn out all the recent immoral developments in literature, in the theater, in the press. In short, we want to burn out the poison of immorality, which has entered into our whole life and culture as a result of liberal excess during the last few years. You know who said that? Adolf Hitler. We have a power problem, we humans. Christians are not exempt from it, and the church is not exempt from it, and the United States is not exempt from it, and you are not exempt from it. We've got a power problem. Made in the image of God, we were created to steward authority and power. God said, I'm going to give humans dominion over the work of my hands. God made you for power, but when humans separated from God and sinned, in the Garden of Eden, when, when our first parents sinned, we fell and we fell hard. And of all the areas where that fall is seen, there are few that are more visible, visceral, and dangerous than in the way that our power drives have been fallen. The way that, that sin has so warped us that when humans get power, we, we even use names like the name of Christianity, like Hitler did. 
And it's very understandable, by the way, when we, when we see Jews in the first century that said, God, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Because there has been no persecuted people in all of human history like the Jews. Even right now, the most, the most uh, victimized religious group in all of America, by far, Jews make up 2%, I think, of the population, and, and they make up, I think, one out of every six religious hate crimes, or it might be higher than that, meaning it's a wildly inordinate number, the percentage of hate crimes, even in the last few weeks. So I, I, I want to tell you, if I was Jewish, I would very much understand where these guys are coming from. God, we're being oppressed by, the, by a Roman empire that treats us with disdain. We are mocked. Your word is neglected. People look Look on you with, with disrespect. God, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? But he's making to them a very important point that they need to understand and that we need to understand, which he says, I need you disciples to understand. I'm about to bring my kingdom. But the nation of Israel is not the same thing as the kingdom of God. I need to let all of you in this room understand this. The nation of the United States of America is not the same thing as the kingdom of God. Your family is not the same thing as the kingdom of God. Our church is not the same thing as the kingdom of God. Hopefully my family is a part of and is an inside of, but I need us to understand that when we come to verse 7 and he says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that God has fixed. I need you to understand this lesson. Christians, church, men, women, leaders, followers, beware of thinking that your kingdom is the same thing as God's kingdom. Listen, I'm a company guy. I love greenhouse. But greenhouse is blessed by God to the extent that we remember that God blesses us to be a blessing. And if we forget that, God can pull the plug on us. Do you understand that I want, I'm a company guy, I like my job, I'm not trying to get fired, anything like that. I just need you to understand that the name of Greenhouse can perish, but the name of Jesus can go on forever and ever. I love my family, but I need you to understand that my family is not the same thing as God's kingdom. And when I forget that, there are times when my family becomes the center of my universe and it becomes dangerous because when you start to exist for you and for yours and for your job and for your nation, all I'm trying to tell you is this is my prayer. God, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. And we've got to be honest. Greenhouse has a will in a little kingdom, and your family has a will in a little kingdom, and I have a will in a little kingdom, and I've just got to tell you, the wisest move in all of the universe to make is when the, the, the people like us come and we say, Jesus, we bow our kingdoms to you in recognition of what it says in Revelation, that one day all the kingdoms of this earth will come and bow to the kingdom of our God and King, and his kingdom will reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. See, we've got a power problem that, that these Israelites did not understand. The story of humanity has been a story. And, and, and by the way, if I were these Jewish men, don't you get it? God chose the Jewish people. He did. That's true. To which when you've been chosen by God, you have to conclude, well, we've been chosen. Therefore, God must be on our side. Or maybe you could even add another one. If you read this, the totality of Scripture, Scripture is very clear. God always sides with op the oppressed. Well, these, these are Jewish chosen people, and they're oppressed. 
To which you find them, can you not understand even biblically how they could make the argument, God must be for us. We are the oppressed, chosen people of God, stands with the oppressed. Surely God is with us. And yet any of us that know anything about the sociology of humanity know that there's a very dark tragedy of human existence, which is that abused people often become abusers. And oppressed people often become oppressors. It's, it's one of the interesting things. I do a lot of, just a lot of reading on justice and what you might call postmodern justice is a, you know, a, a lot of what, when you hear people talk about Marxism or you hear people talk about different things and when a, a, lot, of, a lot of current just, justice thought will, will involve things like, hey, if anyone has power, their position of power has placed them in a position where they are now untrustworthy because you cannot trust the person with power and therefore whoever's got the power, we need to go against that. We need to dismantle that. We need to take that down and there, we need revolutionaries that rise up and they can overtake people in those positions of power. The problem with a lot of postmodern justice that, that, I, could, that I would say, at least from, from my vantage point, would be the, what it doesn't seem to do is if by definition there's an absolute truth that people with power always abuse it and misuse it, if one revolution revolutionary takes over an oppressor and the revolutionary gets in power, how are they not also in a position of power where they're now going to become as oppressive as the people they've overtaken? And indeed, the history of humanity has been oftentimes formerly oppressed people that now get power, whether you're looking at these experiments of people in, in prisons with prisons and guards and you find out one type of person, once they get the power, they tend to abuse it. What I'm trying to let you know is this, the issue is not simply someone's position. The issue is not a position that just comes from someone's social standing in the 21st century. This has been a positional problem since the Garden of Eden when sin entered in. We humans have power problems. It's men and it's women and it's black and it's white and it's Asian and it's Eastern and it's Western and it's introverts and it's extroverts and it's every Enneagram type. It's if you are human and you are disconnected from God, we have a power problem. Last year, the, maybe the biggest podcast in the Christian world was the rise and fall of Mars Hill. The, the, the tale, the narrative of of Christians who, who were just watching God do things and moving and the assumption was God must be on our side because look at all the people being baptized or look at all the people coming to church or look at all of the big things that are happening and yet even in the name of Christianity and even baptized somehow or trying to ice it with, with Christianity and saying we're God's chosen people, the, the trail, the, the pile of dead bodies in its wake where the spiritual abuse had taken place, it is a warning to us. And church, I just want to tell you, it's, it's a warning that I personally feel like we need to take wildly seriously because I think at times there's a tendency for us to believe that maybe God somehow needs us. And I'm just like, I just want to confess, God doesn't need me. I need him. God doesn't need us, but we need him. And if, and if we will follow him and if we'll humble ourselves before him, he will use us. He will bless us to be a blessing. But his heart has forever been for those that know that they need him. And I think there's an uh, appropriate humility that we need. When I, when I even approach this scripture, and I'm going to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit here in a moment, but I need you to understand that there's got to be an appropriate trembling that we have when it comes to the, to the power of, that, that God gives us 
where we recognize and we say, God, that there's, there's, there's a power problem and, and the church has frankly been a part of it. And there's even some of you that are listening to me now that have been abused by people and power and I am so sorry for that. And there's some of you that, that have been under, whether it was, was parents that misused their authority or in marriages where someone misused their power or in jobs where someone misused the, the, the position that they had. And, and even this week, I've just been grieving over this. Even, even just wanting to pray that some of you that are even, even now, they're like there's wound and there's hurt and, and it's sensitive and it's, and I don't even know what it can do, but I believe the spirit of God is on me to announce healing for broken hearts. And even some of you that are, that are even listening to me now that if, as I'm, I'm not your dad, but I want to pray a father's blessing. I'm, I'm maybe not your boss, but I want, to, I want to pray a leader's blessing over you. And if there's any kind of healing that can come, may the spirit of God himself, by the name of Jesus, bring healing to your broken heart. And as a pastor that has not stewarded all of my power perfectly, or a father who has not stewarded my authority perfectly, deeply calling out to God. I, I want to do that in front of all of you because even the, the church itself has has been so misguided on this. And as part of the church, I repent for that. And church, I want to call you to repent with me. That as we approach a world, that we go into a world that doesn't need another group of people that are looking for the same wrong power, but we realize he's got something else. And that's my second point. What we need is holy power. We need holy power. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, now it's interesting. They said, will you restore the kingdom? What, he's, what he lets them know is, I know what you're looking for. What you're really looking for is power. You, have, you feel so powerless when those Roman soldiers say, come over here, you Jewish boy. Come over here, Jewish boy. Come, come carry my load. And they would have to. These Jewish boys would have to go and carry the, the load of these wicked Roman soldiers. And they, and they hated them. And they, and they despised them. And they said, will you restore the kingdom? And Jesus says, I know what you're after. What you want is power. I'm not promising you the kingdom is going to come politically. What I'm going to promise you is that you will receive power when the spirit comes. You see, we've got a power problem. What we actually need is holy power. Now, at Christmas time, we, we give our kids gifts. And oftentimes, uh, the, the worst thing that happens on Christmas morning is that your children have been given gifts that are toys that run on batteries, and you have the wrong batteries. Has this ever happened? You have type A, and you have type B, and you have type... You've got every... Have you ever had it where you've got every... Like, you have 7,264 batteries, and you don't have the two AA batteries you need. Right? Has that ever happened to you? I remember this Christmas, we, we were just having some of this situation, and we had the wrong... But we're like, oh... There's power, but it's the wrong power. There's power, but it's the, it's the wrong battery. Friends, I submit to you today when Jesus comes and says, John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized. You will be baptized. You will be immersed. You will be drenched. You will be saturated with the Holy Spirit. I want to say something strong, and I don't want to be offensive, and I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I want to say this. It is my opinion 
that we have been baptized in a lot of very unholy spirits that have given us their power. We have taken on their offenses. We have taken on their rage. We have taken on their fears. We have been baptized in a multitude of other spirits. And I will not lie, they empower you. When I read people posting things online, I'm like, that brother is baptized in a spirit, but he is not baptized in the Holy Spirit. He is speaking out of a rage that's coming from another spirit. I listen to people speak in fear. When, I'm, when I listen, I'm telling you, the, when, I, when I turn on politics, often I'm listening to politics, and I don't care if you lean left or right. What we know is this. Fear and rage and anger sell. They work. They spread. And in an attention economy where you build things on how much attention you can get, you do not garner attention and clicks by peace. You garner them with fear and anger. This is a problem because there are other spirits. And I'm not talking demonic. I'm not saying just demonic. I'm not just, are you saying, Mike, that that you think I'm possessed by demons? Maybe, (laughs) but that's not actually my point. (laughs) That's not actually my point. My point is I have been baptized in in the spirit of the gator many times, for example. There's been, how, how do you know? When you're immersed in something, you can't stop thinking about that. There's been many times, it's, it's Sunday. There's been, in football season, low-key prayer requests for your pastor during football season is, pray, A, that the game either goes well, so I'm not very distracted for Sunday, right, okay, uh, or that I'm able to disregard it very, very easily, all right, that I'm very able to do that. There's a couple people in the church that help me with that. They, uh, Shannon's and that, tweets things for me that help me sometimes. I'm like, okay, that's what I wanted to say. Thank you. Someone else said it. I, he'll take the hit and I don't have to take it. Thank you for that, Shannon. But I believe we've been baptized in a lot of other spirits at times and Part of it is because what we want is we want a power, and it is interesting. When, when you hold on to that, that bitterness, rage, offense, unforgiveness, there is a power that you have. Like when I've talked to people in counseling and I'd said, will you please forgive your uncle? And to have someone look back at you and say, but that's all the power I've got is this rage. What I'm telling you is, if you will give up those cheap batteries, God will give you holy power. And what we need is holy power. I'm not promising you your kingdom come. I'm not promising you your will be done. I'm not promising you your agenda is going to come to pass. I'm not promising you I will put them down. I'm not promising you I'm going to wipe them. What I'm telling you is, if you'll let me, I'll, let, I'll, I'll baptize you in my spirit. I'll give you my batteries. I'll give you my power. Here, this is really the whole point of this entire sermon. Only the Holy Spirit is strong enough to redeem power. If if you get nothing else today, this is what I want you getting. Only the Holy Spirit of God is is strong enough to to redeem the power that you you long for. How do we know? Like, like how do we know holy power? Well, let me give it to you from Luke chapter 4. When Jesus began his ministry in Luke chapter 4, he said in verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is holy power. This is the spirit of God. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
How do we know when we have holy power? Because holy power is going to be directed to protect and to love the poor, the captives, the blind, the oppressed. God gives power not to sustain and maintain the status quo to keep people oppressed. God gives power to release the oppressed. Greenhouse, I want us to know to the extent that we will remember the poor. When we moved into this hub, for example, some of you remember within the first few weeks of moving to this even new location, one of the prophetic words for us was, remember the poor. If God, friends, if God has blessed you financially, let me give you a warning. Remember the poor. Remember the needy. Because what I've watched happen, in fact, I just read the statistic over this past month. The statistics are, the more money Christians make, the less they tend to give away. They start giving less and less and less away. It is a warning that God gives us, which is, if God blesses you, he blesses you to be a blessing. If he's given you a voice, he gives you a voice not to simply stand for those that already have a voice standing for them. Okay? We don't need, we've already, systems already protect the people that are in power. We've got to be about understanding holy power is first thinking about the oppressed, the poor, the afflicted, the needy, those that have no one watching out for them. Don't get me wrong. I want you having my back. I want you loving me as your pastor. I'm just also letting you know there is a dangerous tendency in this world and a world that craves power and a world where people use power to maintain the status quo. We've got to understand we've got a God who will watch our back. We've got to watch their backs. Does that make sense? Church, we must not protect abusers. We must not protect oppressors. We must not. And, and when people say, yeah, but Mike, there could be false accusations. Of course there could. And there's some minority of the cases that happens. But the general preponderance of evidence of human history, including right now, is that the vast majority of the people being abused, no one ever stands for them. And God has placed us on this earth to be a voice for those who have no voice. We've got to get holy power. And the way you know it's holy power is when it touches the poor, the afflicted, the vulnerable, the abused, the oppressed. And when we use our voice to speak for the kingdom, to let them know that there is a king who watches over those that have no one else watching over. And that we go in his name, in the name of Jesus. And when they ask, why did you come? And we say, because our king sent us. Because this is how our king is. See, what we need is holy power. We've got a, a power problem. We need holy power. I'm indebted to Diane Langberg for so much. Um, here's her picture up here. She wrote a book called Redeeming Power, which I suggest anybody and everybody get. But she says, our responses to the vulnerable expose who we truly are. The way we respond to the vulnerable, it, it exposes who we truly are. Here's the danger of power. The evidence is the greater the power you get, the less empathy you have. The more authority you have, the less empathy you have. The more money you get, the more authority you get, the more privilege you get, the more leverage you get. The tendency is left to ourselves, power messes with us, which is why Jesus said, I will not leave you to yourself. I will baptize you in my spirit. I want to just throw it out to us, church. 
I, I, believe that, I, I believe when people get filled with the Holy Spirit, I think they can prophesy. I think they can lay hands on the sick. I think they can speak in tongues. I think they can interpret tongues. I think they can do miracles. I think there's a multiplicity of wonderful things that happen when people get baptized in the Holy Spirit. But I would submit to you that one of God's deepest purposes is the recognition that we humans left to ourselves look for power and crave power from all the wrong sources. And he knows we, we're going to crave power and we're going to look for it, which is why I believe God has said, if you will let me, I will help you to redeem power. And God wants us to become a people that could be faithful to steward power and authority and prosperity and a voice. And my dream for you is not that you have no power, it's that you use redeemed power. I pray that some of you do become politicians and you use your position and you redeem that power in the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus for the good of those who otherwise would have no one standing for them. I'm praying that some of you become microchurch leaders and that when you do, you don't become a microchurch leader just so you can, like my daughter said, so that you're in charge of Bible time. But that you, when you become a microchurch leader, you become a microchurch leader because when people walk in that living room every Tuesday or Thursday night, you're ready to wash their feet. And if you become a pastor, that you don't get up and preach sermons or write budgets or use your influence to build your kingdom or your brand, but, but that you care about the people that God sends and that you wash their feet and, and you pray for them when they don't know about it and, and you look out for them and you lay down your life for the sheep. Because we realize that we have a king that's not like the other kings. All the kingdoms of this world, the way that they do things is they would demand that people come into covenant with them and say, one day I'm going to require your life of you. But that's not how our king works. Our king is the king who came to earth. And he made a covenant where he said, I'm not going to ask you to give your life for me. I'm making a covenant where I give my life for you. It's a different kingdom. Because he's a different king. And he gives a different power. And if we're going to be a church that's full of the power of the Holy Spirit, I want us to understand it's a different kind of power than anyone on this earth recognizes without eyes of faith. God, I want us to follow Jesus as a people. I desire so much that when people get around us, that the way that we manage people, the way that we teach classrooms, the way that we do our work, the way that we speak to our enemies would be so otherworldly. People would say, what kind of battery do you run on? And we'd say we run on a different, it's, it's something you don't know of. And our, and our questions wouldn't be, God, when is, when is the nation going to be restored? When's the kingdom going to be restored? But, but we would say we want holy power. And, and so really the, the, the application of the sermon today is I want you to plug into this holy power. You got to plug into the power. Verse 8, you will receive power when, when, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He's speaking to people that had already had God's Spirit breathed into them. They've already been Ephesians chapter 1. I'm making this quick. They've already been Ephesians 1 sealed with the Holy Spirit, but they've not yet been baptized. You will receive, the, the, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will will be my witnesses. You will be, this is witnesses of Jesus. This is Jesus talking. You will be my witnesses. Now, witnesses just tell you what they saw. That's all they do. You don't need to be a preacher. The kingdom of heaven is not built on preachers. It's built on witnesses. I don't need you to give me a sermon on the accident that happened at the corner. Just tell me what you saw. I saw a truck hit a car. 
Good, you told me. Uh, this is all I need. This church, this is what people need at lunch today. By the way, the, fa- <laughs> the fast is over. Go eat some lunch in Jesus' name today. Someone say hallelujah, okay? When you go to, the, when you go to lunch today, testify. Give people your witness. Witness just means you tell them. Here's what I saw. There was a time in my life when I was empty and guilty and full of shame. And I met Jesus. He changed my life. I saw what he did on the cross. I knew he rose from the dead. I've got joy and purpose now. Do you have a story like that? Here's a witness. There was a time in my life when I was so lost and scared and trying to please my parents and people and all the expectations. I didn't even know what I was going to do. And then Jesus came in and I realized he died on a cross. He fulfilled everything. I'm complete in him. And now I have this peace like I never had before. Do you have a story like that? Here's a, here's a testimony. Here's how you witness. There was a time in my life when I was dead. I met Jesus. I'm now alive. Now I've got joy, and I'm full of vibrancy. Do you have a story like that? Here's, here's, here's a testimony. There was a time in my life when I had so many secrets and so many skeletons in my closet. If anyone would have found out, I would have been ashamed. And Jesus came, and when I trusted him, it's like I knew for the first time I was clean. Oh, and now I'm just free. Do you have a story like that? Now, I just gave you a testimony in less than 10 seconds. That's like a 10-second testimony right there, okay? You could do that to a waitress. If they're like, I don't have a story like that, and I don't care. I said that to someone recently, and the person said to me, no, but I would like one. Do you have a story like that? Now, that's not the whole gospel. That's not all of it. There's a lot more to go from there. But what I'm saying is, church, I'm letting you know this because... Jesus, according to Jesus, and I'm going with Jesus, Jesus said that you know the way that someone, the ultimate sign of the Holy Spirit on someone's life, and I don't want to offend all the, you know, lifetime Pentecostals right now, the, the real evidence of the Holy Spirit in someone's life is the fact, not that they speak in tongues, it's that they witness. It's that they witness. It's not that they can go do miracles. I believe in miracles. It's that they witness. Let me, let me give you the parentheses. I'm not gonna, I won't lie to you. When people get filled with the Holy Spirit, they do start praying for more people. They get, like my wife got filled with the Spirit. She, started, she never prayed for people that got healed. She got filled with the Spirit. She started same prayers. Now people got healed. It's true. Okay, that really happens. Okay, there really are these things. What I'm telling you is you are called to witness. The, the, the open door for the, for the kingdom is, is witnessing. It's testifying. It's just telling them what you saw. Now, if you haven't seen anything, you got to go get a testimony. But if you've seen something, if your life's been hit by the truck of the grace of God, go tell people, I've been hit by the truck. <laughs> tell them. The way you know you've been baptized in the Spirit, ultimately, those you be- Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. Now, I hear people say, well, it's, it's not really an age. People don't really respond to witnessing these days. To which I'm, exactly. I'm like, but I, this past Monday was Martin Luther King holiday. On Martin Luther King holiday, I was on my way to go downtown or go to Citizens Field for the Martin Luther King events, okay? So before I do, I went to TJ Maxx. I go to TJ Maxx. There's someone with a clipboard outside TJ Maxx trying to take petitions. They come up to me and they witnessed about their cause of what was going on and things that needed to change in Gainesville. And they, they pushed themselves on me. They came up and witnessed. I got down to Citizens Field. I had no less than 12 people on Monday come up and witness to me about their politics, their positions, their petitions all of these things. And then when I talk to Christians about, hey, you want to go witness to something? They're like, hey man, culture's just not like that, bro. Like people, we just, that's not where people are at these days. 
I'm like, no, that's not where you are at. What's happened is they got baptized in their politics and they received power in their politics to become a witness for their politics. And then someone else got baptized in their petition and they got empowered by their petition and they witnessed about their petition. And someone else got baptized in whatever their cause was. They got emboldened and empowered. And then you come to Christians and say, have you been baptized in the spirit or not? Because you always witness about the things to which you're baptized in. It's a principle. Mike Lane just had a baby. Mike Lane and Danny had their baby. He's been baptized in the love for this baby, Kason. Everywhere he goes, he witnesses. He doesn't walk up to people and say, oh my gosh, they, they, they might be offended if I tell them about me. He says, I just had a baby. I had a baby. I had a baby. I had a Because you talk about what you love. You can't help but witness about what you've been baptized into. Church, all I can tell you is this. The sign of being baptized in the Holy Spirit is you testify of Jesus. I'm bringing it up because it has, it has now been probably a dozen years since somebody has, anybody, has gone up and witnessed to me about Jesus on the street. I have been witnessed to about Trump, anti-Trump, vaccines, anti-vaccines, Black Lives Matter, anti-Black Black Lives Matter, I've, uh, uh, animal rights, electricity in Gainesville, uh, 35 mile an hour speed limit in Gainesville, Jesus, please, no, all the different things. <laughs> People have witnessed to me. I have been witnessed to and witnessed to. I'm just asking, where did all the Christians go? Where did they go? Tom Brennan, where did they go? Well, we're, we're kind of undercover now. No, I, can, can I just submit? We've been baptized in a lot of other spirits and we've been witnessing for them. I want my spirit back. I want our witness back. Could you imagine what would happen if we went out not witnessing about our politics? Not, you don't need to tell people about greenhouse. Tell them about Jesus. That's what they need to hear. Well, I don't want to make them feel like I'm judging them. You're not judging them. Just go testify. Just go be a witness. I haven't seen judgment yet. I'm not, I'm not telling them about that. I don't know. You, Mike, I just tell people they're going to hell. You don't know they're going to hell. That's none of your business. You don't know that. What you know is your story. Tell them your story. That's right. Bless the name of Jesus. See, see, we've got this power problem. What we need is holy power, but we've got to plug into the power. And when we do plug into it, I'll tell you what's going to happen. It's stuff like this. Let me just read you a closing story from the Welsh revival 100 years ago. A remarkable religious revival. This was written in a newspaper. It's now taking place for some days now. A young man named Evan Roberts has been causing a great surprise at Mariah Chapel. The place has been besieged by dense crowds of people unable to obtain admission. Such excitement has prevailed that the road on the people, on the the people of the chapel, it's situated where Roberts, who gets up to speak, he speaks in Welsh. The Holy Spirit, he says, will come upon him, and he only says what the Holy Spirit will tell him. The preacher soon launches into a fervent and at times impassioned oration. His statements have, stir have stirring effects on the listeners. After his sermon, which lasted for two hours, I thought about trying it, but I, we have another service coming, so you got to go. <laughs> the vast congregation remained praying and singing until 2.30 in the morning. Shopkeepers are closing early to keep 
a place in the chapel and tin and steel workers throng the place in working clothes. From Aberdeen, Evan traveled to over two dozen other cities to town throughout Wales. Spontaneous prayer meetings are breaking out in mines, factories, schools, and shops. Wave after wave of the Holy Spirit has passed over the land. The degree to which the move was affecting society could be seen all the way through. It impacted the favorite Welsh sport, football, which is what we would call soccer. At the time of the revival that it broke out, the whole nation was nearing a frenzy over the sport. Working class men seemed to think and talk about this one obsession. Gambling and games were rampant. Then the star football players were converted and they joined open air street meetings to testify to the glorious things that the Lord had done for them. Soon the players were so captivated by the Lord They lost their interest in the games and teams did not have enough players to play in their championship matches and the stadiums were empty. I was annoyed when I went to Arby's and it took 15 minutes for a milkshake. They said, sir, I'm sorry, there's only two of us here. They had a revival going on that the professional stars would not go to the matches that would, like right now, we get annoyed when someone's going to go pro and so they don't play in the bowl game. Imagine you don't have an entire team, not because of COVID, not because of going pro. You don't have a team because they're in the streets witnessing. <laughs> this one cracked me up. These were the results of it. Debts were, just so if you're wondering, did they just go to church and sit there? No. Debts were paid. Stolen goods were returned. Taverns were forsaken. People, alcoholics stopped drinking. A serious problem developed in the mines because the horses had been trained to respond to the curses of the drivers and the drivers did not curse anymore so the horses did not understand them. I want a revival. I want some of you to come and say, Holy Spirit, I want you to light the fire again in my heart. Because when you receive the Spirit of God, you receive power. When God's Spirit comes upon you, what I'm telling you is all those other little powers get exposed for what they are. Triple A batteries when your life becomes like a transformer. Mike, what do you want me to do with this sermon? Number one, today, if you've been misusing your power, I want you to change it. I want you to repent. You've been given power of your body. If you've been using your body to sleep with people you're not married to, you are misusing your power. Repent. If you've been using your words to, to shade the truth to people, and you've been controlling and manipulating people by, by the power of, of, of using words and, and kind of, you know, being able to manage people, I want you to become a truth speaker. Turn. Give up that power. If you are a parent that's been misusing your power with your children, I want you to treat them in a way that you steward the power like Jesus. If you're a boss, manager, leader, whatever power God's given you, I want to use your power. For, I want you to offer up your power. Maybe you need to walk down to an altar and say, God, I bow my knees. And I say, whatever power, leverage, privilege, money, prosperity you give me, it will be for the poor, the vulnerable, the needy. It's going to be used in a way that looks like the kingdom of heaven. But if you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm going to tell you again. You need to go wait and tarry for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you because when his spirit comes upon you, you will receive a power like you've never had. 
You're going to receive a power to say things you've never said and to do things you've never done and a boldness you've never known. Something's going to happen inside of you that when I talk about witnessing 15 minutes ago, it was like, oh, that's scary. And you're going to walk out like, give me someone to talk. There was a time in my life when I was lost and I met Jesus and now I'm found and I've got a joy. Do you have a story like that? And you just go, or maybe you just walk up to someone and say, I come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. How may I pray for you today? I'm telling you, when you're filled, you're different. Get filled. But it never happens until until you look to the one that had all the power. The king of glory who had all the power and all the authority, all the position. And he gave it up to come walk our neighborhoods and to speak our language and to smell our smells and to get exposed to our junk. And then he would go upon a cruel cross. He who is life himself, he said, I'm the, the way and the truth and the life, would not hold on, but it would give up his life. Would not hold on to his power, but give up his power so that we could live. Is there anyone like him? Is there anything like Jesus? Is there anything that compares to the glory? The the Passion of the Christ movie cannot show you the power that he relinquished, the shame that he endured. No movie could depict it. No words are sufficient to express what happened when the King of glory gave up his power to save you and me. And that you and me get to come humbly to him and when we put our faith in him, we get changed and forgiven and freed. Thanks for watching. If you enjoyed this sermon, be sure to click that like button. It helps others to find our videos. You can also post a comment about your favorite part of the message. Another way to connect is by subscribing to our YouTube channel. I hope your week is wonderful. Live green.